Hello, readers, bookworms, book nerds, and book lovers of all kinds. I'm Grant Faulkner, the executive director of an organization that's responsible for many of the books in this world, National Novel Writing Month. And I'm here with my very bookish co-host, Brooke Warner, who has dedicated her career to writing, editing, and publishing books, and is also responsible for many of the books in this world. And I think it's safe to say that even though we work with writers, the reason we work with writers is because of our love of books and that probably started from a time before we can even remember. But Brooke, I have a secret, a confession, a worry. It's all disturbing to tell you about. I've been talking with a lot of people, book lovers and writers, and I've confessed to them how I've been struggling with my reading. You know, I, I read less this year than any year in my adult life. And that's because of a lot of things, like I'm busy with a bunch of projects, including writing books. But it's also because of something that I'll call internet head or, or even better iPhone head, device head. My attention span is just so fractured and I'm so easily distracted that I have a hard time literally sitting down with a good book and luxuriating in it like I used to. That state of immersion used to be one of my top pleasures in life. You know, I remember telling my mom when I was a teen that I was lucky because I could never be truly unhappy in life because I could always find a good book to read. And when I've told this to others, I, I found that almost everyone I know is going through the same thing. You know, many people have given up reading. And, and again, these are these are readers, people who like hanging out in bookstores, which makes me worried about the state of reading today and especially for the future. So I'm curious, what's your take on this book? You know, I'm worried too, mostly because I have a middle schooler, as people know. And while he loves to read, he recently told me that he doesn't think he's going to read books in the future, which was kind of a horrifying statement. You know, only a tween or a teenager can say such a thing. Uh, so, you know, you take things with a grain of salt with kids, of course. But, you know, he actually asked me the question, why are books so important? Uh, and I had to contain myself, you know, from not launching into a full-blown lecture and instead meeting him on his level. But the conversation definitely sent me reeling about the consequences of devices and of being distracted. And kids and adults are distracted, of course. You know, it's a known fact that our attention spans are decreasing. And most of us also practice terrible reading hygiene. That's another thing I've thought about a lot. You know, we're not focused as well because we have so much pulling at our attention, including phones and computers and other things. Uh, and one more thing on the kid front, just because it's related to the conversation with James about reading, an interview was surfaced at the end of last year with Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, who is the disgraced founder of the cryptocurrency exchange, uh, FTX. Mm -hmm. And so he had an interview with the writer Adam Fisher. Adam said to Sam, I'm addicted to reading, which explains how I ended up being a writer. And Sam's response was, oh, yeah, I would never read a book. You know, and I don't want to place undue emphasis on that kid, mm. <laughs> uh, Sam. But the thing is that he was a major role model to young kids and especially to kids like James who are trying to figure out the world and they go on social media and they're getting all kinds of messaging about money and being rich. And there's just this disdain for reading in some cultures that I find really disturbing, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I just say all that to say like, Yes, reading habits are changing. Mine have changed. I still read a lot, of course, because I read for work. But uh, one benefit I can say is that I'm listening to a lot more audiobooks, and I definitely count that as reading. And although it's not the same, um, I have come to rely on and love audiobooks in ways that at least allow me to get through my reading list. 
Yeah, that's so great. I say that because I've been experimenting with audiobooks because I, I find that I can't read at night like I used to because my eyes are just so fried from looking at screens all day. But even though I love podcasts, audiobooks haven't quite stuck with me yet for some reason. I'm still experimenting with them, uh, still trying to find a way for them to work, so more to come. Uh, but I'm also curious about a realization I had recently. I was in Mexico last week for a writing conference and I had a day free. So I did what I liked to do best when I traveled when I was younger, which was sit in a cafe and read. So I sat on the Zocalo in Oaxaca, which is a wonderful, wonderful place of activity. Um, and it was just this reading and writing dream space for me, or I expected it to be. But initially I was disturbed by the challenge of reading. You know, the internet, my phone, it was still a powerful magnet. The rhythms of my brain were just going that way. And I didn't want to yield to those distracting forces. And the more I read and wrote, the more my brain started to kind of inch its way to a different rhythm. And after a couple of hours, I felt those deep benefits of deep reading and deep thinking again, uh, because I was getting elsewhere, you know, into the land of the book. And what was good about this experience was that it, it took me going to another country to have it, I think, is that I realized our brains have a plasticity, you know, that they can be trained. And when I was younger, I kind of unconsciously trained my brain to read. And now I've unconsciously trained it for screens and devices. Hmm. So I realize that I need to retrain it for reading and to do so very consciously. And I keep thinking about this word rhythm, uh, which is important here, because to read, my brain needs to move at a very different pace than it does online. And I need to find a way to transition to reading from my life, whether it's, you know, creating a pathway through listening to music or meditating, somehow changing the rhythm in my brain. Uh, because my online life is just so intrusive that I need to consciously, you know, you, you mentioned the word reading hygiene, which I, I really like. I was thinking of just constructing my environment to support reading in a way I never have. Yeah. And I bet everyone listening can relate to some degree, you know, just there's so much pulling on our attention. But I liked what you said about plasticity, because um, actually, you're the one grant, I don't know if you know this, who turned me on to the Ezra Klein show. Uh, and now I'm a dedicated listener. And back in November, there was an episode about reading and Ezra brought on a guest named Marianne Wolf. And she's a researcher at UCLA who wrote this book called Reader Come Home, The Reading Brain in a Digital Age. And so when you propose this topic today, I actually went back and re-listened to the show because I wanted to share. It was just such a fascinating show about reading. Uh, and some of the things that she's learned in her study are particularly useful to exactly what we're talking about today. One of them being that there are different parts of the brain that get engaged depending on how we read. So I really liked listening to her talk because she put it into neuroscientific terms for us. And I'm just going to break it down a tiny bit for the context of today. She talked about reading is like a circuit board in our brains and the base level is the human being learning to read, right? Which is just like putting vision and language together. But from there, we begin to build upon and create more elaborate circuits, which has to do with how we read. And we're all different, of course, you know, depending on our environment and our propensity toward reading. But the more you know, and the more you read, the more you build on the experience of reading, and then the more you add to that circuit. And so she was talking about this idea that reading is continuous and evolving 
and it's based on everything that came before. And and she also talked about deep reading, which she called it as being the unnatural apex of uh, the achievement of reading and, and that it's unnatural because there's actually no part of the brain that's actually specific for reading the way there is for other things like vision and language. So I thought this was particularly profound, you know, this idea of a deep state of reading being a whole different level of experience and how we participate with text. And so I just had this head nodding moment because I was like, oh my gosh, right, deep reading. Like, first of all, that's why you lose track when you're uh, of time when you're in a good book. And why also sometimes I feel literally heady. You know, I've talked about that before on the show, like when I read the Rachel Cusk series that I felt almost like I was immersed in this like gauzy packaging. That's the only way I can think to describe it. But that's, I think, probably my last time of feeling that kind of deep reading. Uh, and I just thought like, gosh, both of us sound like we need to get back to that and uh, keep building on those neuro circuits. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's curious to hear that description of things because that's what was happening to me in that cafe in Mexico. And thanks for reminding me of that Ezra Klein episode as well and giving such a great summary of it because I definitely was very obsessed with that discussion when I heard it and a little fearful of its implications on a broad societal level. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one reason I'm excited to talk with Andrew Limbong today. He's the host of one of my favorite book podcasts, NPR's Book of the Day podcast. And I, I think it's designed to engage with people whose minds and lives are moving at the rhythm we've been talking about. It provides a great discussion of a book each day and it covers all genres and it's very digestible because each episode is, is just 15 minutes or so. And what I like about it is that it makes me aware of books that I wouldn't ordinarily read and can't read. And then it also sometimes causes me to read something new and surprising. And, you know, I just can never underestimate that joy of discovery when it comes to reading. I think that discovery is what helps us to train our brains to go deeper in a way. Uh, so I'm looking to it this year as one who, who believes in setting goals with writing. I'm going to set a goal with my reading this year for, yeah, the first time ever, I think. And I'm talking about my pleasure reading, not my work reading, which is an entirely different thing. So this is this is a modest goal, really. Um, I feel like it should be much more ambitious, but I'm going to start with a modest goal. I'm planning to try to read for just 30 minutes a day. And I'm talking about deep, nourishing reading, not online reading. And I'm going to keep a reading log to record books and thoughts. And I'd like to combine a few things, you know, rereading books that I loved years ago, reading new releases and reading some books and genres I don't usually read. Most importantly, it's going to be a year of retraining my brain to be better attuned to life off devices, which is, is the true end goal. I love that life off devices as if <laughs> we can't define, we, we can't just describe it as life, right? Yeah, exactly. It needs that qualifier. <laughs> Have you ever set reading goals, Brooke? No, I have not set reading goals since grade school. You know, I used to do summer reading challenges back then. Um, but, you know, going back to the mom crisis with James, uh, his his homework is to read 30 minutes every night. And so lots of times we do read together. Uh, but I don't have him every night of the week. So, so we don't do it all the time or sometimes one of us is tired. But over the holidays, we actually did read a lot more than usual. And I specifically got some holiday stories, like some Agatha Christie holiday books, which was super fun. And so my goal as we move into the new year is to keep reading and to find books that excite him. And also they're good 
weird for me. Like I actually haven't read very much Agatha Christie and we got some Sherlock Holmes books. So that's my reading goal, at least for the first part of this year, which dovetails into a parenting goal uh, to help my kid know the value of books. I'm sure James is going to come through. Although I do have to say (laughs) that both of my kids who grew up as just wonderful readers, uh, they're older now and I noticed them reading far less. Mm. So it's definitely happening, I think, on this larger level of society. And, you know, we all know reading is important for a bunch of reasons. And it's fundamental to a writer because the stories we read are in conversation with the stories we write. Uh, Also, I, I, I truly believe that our stories determine the progress of our society. So if we neglect reading, it's like we're neglecting taking care of the environment we're living in. So we need to read to, to care for this world. And that's that's one other reason I'm looking forward to talking with Andrew. He he must have such an interesting view of the world because of his immersion in books. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more from him as well. So thanks for that. And we'll be back, everybody, uh, after this very short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back, listeners. Uh, I'm afraid I have to announce that when we talked to Andrew today, uh, Brooke was losing her voice, and so she needed to to opt out and rest her voice. So I'm I'm going to do this interview alone today. Um, I will miss Brooke, but uh, but I look forward to talking to Andrew Limbong. I love his story. He started at NPR in 2011 as an intern for All Things Considered, but now, 11 years later, he's a reporter for NPR's Arts Desk, uh, where he does pieces on anything remotely related to arts or culture, from streamers looking for mental health on Twitch to Britney Spears' fight over her conservatorship. But we're most interested in talking to him today because he's also the host of NPR's Book of the Day podcast and a frequent host on LifeKit, which I appeared on a couple of years ago. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, what's up? Man, 11, you hit that 11 years hard, bro. Did I? Did I? <laughs> no, maybe it just hit me hard. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> That's a lot to do in 11 years. I have to say, I was an intern for a lot of publications for a lot of years, and I didn't work my way up anywhere. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very impressed by your trajectory. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I wondered if you could tell us a bit about your own life as a reader and, and perhaps what books shaped you most as a person or sparked your love of reading. Um, Ooh, that's a, that's a big question. It's, it's like, how far back do we want to go? Cause, uh, I, I have distinct memories of being a kid and hating reading, like, hmm. you know, just finding it completely boring. Um, and you know, you, because like, why would you want to read when you could watch cartoons on TV? You know what I mean? Like, it's a really... good question. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack. Um, and I remember my mom dragging me to, to, uh, shout out to the Brooklyn public library flatlands branch. She just like made me pick out like a book. Didn't didn't really matter which one. Um, and then um, she kind of, I guess, I guess this is what like white kids would call like being grounded. Like <laughs> she would like make me like sit in my room and like locked me in there until I just like finished the book. Huh. And uh, I loved it. It pains me to say that I don't remember what specific book that was, but I remember like after grumbling about like the first like three or so pages, you know what I mean? 
um, I was just like enamored. And then I was in. And then I was like that loser who would be like trying to read as many books in one day, right? Try to yeah. like, just read everything. I, I just like lost my mind. Um, and then I quickly fell in love with Animorphs. I was always like an Animorphs kid. And those books... You know, I've been, I've been, I found a copy of one at like a free book thing, uh, like a couple, like a month or so ago, and I was flipping through them, and I was realizing how much, I think those books like shaped a, a kind of not insignificant part of my politics, ethics, you know, sort of like my moral compass. Um, if anybody hasn't read an Animorphs book in a while, crack it all. It's a, it's wildly violent <laughs> for 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 I guess this would be middle grade. It is wildly violent, but it's also. It wear it wears its like pacifism on its on its sleeve. It, like hmm. it makes clear that like war is hell and war is bad, and you shouldn't be valorizing any of the violence going on. In a very, you know, you know when you see like action movies or books, there's even if they're criticizing it, it there's a little like hey hey hey, this is like really cool. Um, but all of it is just like complicated and, and dense with like lore. Anyway, I didn't mean to go on a on a anamorphic stump speech there. <laughs> I actually love that you tied, you know, early reading to a whole kind of life philosophy and betterment of the world, you know, because I think sometimes kids' books aren't uh, looked at quite in that light, that they're planting those seeds of thinking that take like a bigger shape, you know, as, as you go on. And and I oftentimes, you know, think that yeah, I read this somewhere that we can measure society's progress by our stories and what stories are shared in the world. And I think what you said speaks to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think I don't I don't want to like pearl clutch about like what are the kids reading these days? You know, <laughs> sometimes I, sometimes I feel like I'm getting that washed, but it did point me in in a certain direction, right? Um and then from there, by the time I was in high school, I knew that like the end goal was to be an English professor hmm. in, in like a college and teach at like a like a liberal arts thing. You know, I was full on, you know, in into like tweed blazers with the with the rubbed off shoulders <laughs> and, and all that look right um and yeah i think one one of the big changing experiences in 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 my life was reading um was reading the sound of the fury um shout out to my ap high school teacher mr milkman who walked us through that thing i don't yeah. <laughs> you know you definitely held everybody's hand very tightly and was like this is what's going on and that like absolutely blew my brain open as to like the this wild world of like what books can do right and like the possibility of storytelling and non-linear narratives and all of that stuff like i was obviously i wasn't like thinking about like postmodernism yet at that time but i was just like thinking like whoa you could do that you're allowed to you know they're like yeah nobody's you don't have to go from a to b to c that's insane and so yeah obviously the um uh, by the time i what got through college the goal there was to become like specifically not just an english professor but like the william faulkner guy like i was going to be like like the dude <laughs> for for like faulknerian studies or whatever for you. uh yeah and uh you know i get guess how much that the market is popping for a faulkner scholar these well, days well you're you talking know? to a faulkner so <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I actually do know <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is uh, not much you know <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, and from there, I got my, I got that internship at ATC um, shortly after college. I bombed the GREs, you know, and then I was like, well, I guess uh, grad school ain't for me. And then I ended up uh, at NPR. And yeah, now now I do the Book of the Day podcast and I do 
a bunch of reading for work. And yeah, here I am today. Well, I'm going to go back to that 11 years that we focused on earlier. Um, <laughs> I think like a job like yours, it strikes me that it's every reader's dream in a way. So I am curious how you went from being an intern to, to getting a job that, you know, many readers would covet. So yeah, I started more on the production side of things. So after, after my internship at, uh, at All Things Considered, I ended up uh, temping for a while and then getting a job as a producer on the show called Tell Me More, which was a daily talk show. Um, and I, that's where I really like cut my teeth on learning audio, like just like cutting tape, mixing pieces or, you know, mixing music and stuff like that. Like just like really because it's a daily show, um, it's it's just like grind, 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 um, like taking like 20, 30 minute interviews, cutting them down to eight, cutting them down to like four or whatever, taking like round table <laughs> like i don't know if you ever had to like edit a whole round table and make it sound like natural nope. it's like it's a nightmare <laughs> bro um and having to do that under in like it under insane deadlines um and like i really fell in love with like like just tape and audio there um and then that show ended up getting canceled and then i moved over to what's now called the culture desk at npr um and just working first as a producer and then i eventually became a reporter and as for like the books podcast, I think like and like but even before my time, NPR has been trying to crack this nut of like how to make a books podcast mm-hmm. and how to do one like sustainably and and one that works well. And I think what they landed on was ta- was highlighting interviews that uh, people do all throughout the building. So all the hosts, like your Scott Simons, your Steve Inskeeps, Inskeeps, your Michelle Martins, like they all do these fabulous um, like book author interviews. And I don't think I'm like talking out of turn when I say like. You know, even I'm not out here listening to every episode of like all two hours of morning edition every day. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not out here listening to every all things considered. Right, and there's, right. there's just like so many great interviews out there that we wanted to make sure to highlight some of them and give them some time in the sun, some extra oomph, um, which is how we landed on the formula for the books pod. So like every week we like plan out five book interviews that the network has done that we want to like showcase. Um, and sometimes that'll be like some buzzy books, you know, hot new authors doing their book tour thing. Um, sometimes we'll, you know, pick stuff that's like relevant to the news. Right. So like sometimes there's like an interesting climate change story or like if something goes on in politics, there's bound to be some author that we've had on talking about that topic, but broader and more historically contextualized everything. My personal favorite episodes are when we go like back, back into the archives. Right. Because, you know, NPR has such a long history of doing like author interviews um, and just hearing an author from like the 90s i talk about like the 90s as if it was like 90, oh, from way way back in the 90s i know i think the same thing i'm like thinking the early 2000s now seems like 1945 yeah, exactly um, but like hearing those like old interviews i'll say it like 80s somehow sounds better so i'll say you know hearing an interview from like the 80s and um you know all there's tackling some of the issues that we're dealing with today it it is both empowering and interesting to hear about how we haven't solved any of the problems or all the problems are the same right yeah on the other hand it's like slightly like kind of low-key disheartening right like oh we've been at this for a long time yeah glacial change incremental progress got to trust in that yeah well speaking of that you know we're at that pivotal time when a lot of people are still thinking about the best of 2022 lists you know i kind of mm-hmm. love those into the year lists in some ways although i sometimes also find them overwhelming mm-hmm. and i'm curious if you have any books that you especially loved from last year uh, that you featured um and then anything that you're especially excited um about that's coming coming out soon yeah um so my favorite book from last year i think 
number one with a bullet is this book called Ducks by Kate Beaton. Mm. Um, it's a graphic novel memoir written by. Uh, she did. I, I think uh, listeners might be familiar with Hark a Vagrant. It was a webcomic that was like popping off in the in the like mid twenty tens. I don't know. Have you you ever read it? You ever heard? I of haven't. It? No, I don't know about it actually. I'm no, very. No, it, I, it I love cute. graphic novels. Yeah, like the the webcomic like was all these like funny takes on historical characters and stuff like that. But this is her first her first memoir, and it's huge. It's like five hundred something pages, and wow. it's it's about her time sh- like shortly after college. Um, working in an oil mine in northern Canada, like oil salt mines, uh-huh. and it's it's just this beautiful, empathetic tale about kind of like, you know, the shitty situation she was in because she was surrounded by all dudes. She was enduring kind of like all this gnarly treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And no one would be surprised if she wrote a book that was like, "Yo, all these dudes suck. Here's what's wrong with it." Da, 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 da. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but it's such an empathetic look at the uh, larger economic forces that push people into taking these jobs, and it's a look at how um, these oil companies come into land that like has people living in it already, right? Like First Nations people, and just like completely railroading them and like causing them grievous harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes those companies to task, but it's also just like a very human and complicated and complex portrait of um, of having to work to live, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of sucks. I wish we didn't, but, you know, that's how it goes. And, yeah, and I think another, another book I, I really liked called uh, Elite Capture, um, how the powerful, how the elite took over identity politics and everything else. Hmm. It's by a philosophy professor called uh, named Olufemi Otaiwo. I, I think he's over at Georgetown, and it's a slim book, but it's a it's a concise argument as to how larger forces can sometimes co-opt language used by marginalized people in order to further push their own needs right <laughs> and so it's 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 just an interesting topic that i've been thinking about kind of like turning a side eye to how people you know maybe use certain words and certain phrasings and certain language in a in a way um and it, and, it, and what's interesting is that it's not like a, it's not like accusatory in a way it doesn't like say it doesn't try to say that there's like a grand conspiracy or anything like that it kind of shows through using examples throughout history that it's it's just like kind of the natural flow of things and being aware of how these things work just like lets you draw like the patterns and like you know trigger some like pattern recognition like oh yeah this is how the that works I love those books that you recommended because they aren't, well, first of all, they aren't books that I actually know about. And I feel like so much book coverage actually is, I, I feel like it's too often driven by the marketing machines of big five publishers. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that is like one reason I, I love a show like yours is that it unearths these really important books that might not see the light of day so much. Yeah. And this is where I got to give a shout out to um, the NPR Books We Love platform. Uh, it is, it is our sort of like year end roundup of the best books, but it isn't like, like one of us coming down from on high being like, here's the 10 best books of the year, yeah. right? It, it's like 400 books. We, you know, send a call out to a lot of critics, a lot of like everyone who works at NPR, pretty much, you know, anyone who wants to. And it leads to a kind of more like democratic look at the books landscape. One that, you know, just isn't ruled by like who made the NBA this this year um that's the national not the basketball one but the books one right 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 <laughs> who got drafted <laughs> either <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it, it's just like a really helpful look to find books that you know maybe not be the the buzziest like the biggest book in litfic today um but just like an interesting way to find stuff off the beaten path 
Yeah. Well, you know, Brooke and I were just talking a bit about, you know, the nature of our personal reading and the conversations we've had with others and, and reading goals. And I'm actually going to put some goals in place for the first time because I because I don't like how my reading quality has changed over these last five to 10 years. Oh, what happened? Oh, I just think I have uh, what a lot of people have, which is what I call a kind of internet head or device head. Mm-hmm. And it's harder and harder for us to read in the sort of sustained, um, immersive, deep way that we used to read like that i oh, grew totally, up reading yeah. and the whole reason that i enjoy reading in fact uh, readings become more of like a, something that i kind of have to force myself to do mm-hmm. you know rather than just something like i was just drawn to books like they were magnets before and now that magnetic force is drawing me to devices really i mean i bet it's like super refreshing for people to hear you say that right because like i hope so because if it's happening to me i I, that's what makes me a little bit fearful for the state of reading you know uh and that is that i keep talking to readers and writers who are experiencing the same thing and so i think we're going through this societally and that's why i'm doing goals for the first time i feel like i have to be very intentional about uh, as brooke called it my reading hygiene or my reading environment Mm -hmm. um and i think i just have to you know I, i i need to retrain my brain in a way to move at a different pace to move more slowly because reading is like a just a slower experience mm-hmm. and this is like what I, so i'm going to come to you for guidance um to see if you have any reading tips you'd like to impart for the book lover who's also book challenged these days yeah so i live in baltimore right i used to have to commute to dc for work every day which means like waking up at like five in the morning and taking the train right yeah. and so when the pandemic first hit you know we all didn't know when it would like be over and so i didn't want to like mess up my sleep schedule so i still like woke i still like i left my alarm clock alone and didn't sleep in and just like kept waking up at five and then i had you know some extra free time to just like start like read i started reading right because of where i would usually be reading on the train i'd be like reading at home and now you know we hit this rhythm where like my wife and i will like before work just like sit down for like 30 minutes like drink our coffee and and just like sit next to each other and read, which is nice. Um, and then whoever gets to like a nice stopping place first gets breakfast going. And that has been so helpful and so refreshing to just like have that moment, like pre work or whatever, um, to devote to reading. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's like anything, like I like running or something like that, which I do. It like it sucks. <laughs> like we we could be real about doing the thing kind of sucks but i was like having done it right and so if you do it every day just like developing that muscle even you know just 15 minutes 10 minutes like doing something every day like helps immensely i will say uh i'm about to have a kid in like a month or something like that uh so that that might help this might like go out the window immediately you know <laughs> I recommend. I also write flash fiction, which I w- wish I would have started writing when I had kids, and I don't know why I didn't because I think that those little fragments of time or that time confetti, you have to like think about how do you make those work for you uh, creatively. Um, yeah. But I'm curious, uh, just back to the the kind of state of reading today. Like, what what are you? You must be in touch with it in a different way than I am. Uh, what are your thoughts about the state of reading today? Are we are we in a good place? Um, just in general, I mean, I feel like things are grim and things have always been grim, (laughs) you know, like the, the attention economy is, is, is a rough place for books to compete in. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and like you said, like you have internet brain, I have internet brain, right. I, I'm, I'm also guilty of like spending a, a embarrassing amount of time on TikTok. Like, (laughs) I, I, I think, I think it's hard. I think it's rough, but I do, it, 
I mean, if you want to just like look at the numbers, right? As I understand it, the market sort of like blew up when the pandemic first hit. People mm-hmm. were buying books like crazy. But then as since then, things have sort of like evened off, right? And like plateaued a bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're back to where we were in like say 2019, um, yeah, I don't know. Thing, things are, things don't feel good. <laughs> Um, hopefully the, the influencers on like books, Instagram and book talk can help like zhuzh, uh, reading back up mm-hmm. some, I'm, I'm wary and apprehensive about all of those things that, um, rely on a certain type of aesthetic. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the, the conversations are differently, even though, even though book talk has been a boon for book discovery and certain genres and authors. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not catching everything, obviously. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's what you're, you're hinting at or not, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I mean, and then there's also just like, I don't know, at least, at least on these like visually oriented mediums, sometimes I feel like books end up looking acting like Funko Pops, you know what I mean? You, you sort of like have all the like colorful books in your background and it's like all aesthetically mm. pleasing and it's all, um, for, because like, and then, and then there's the, the other side of things where it's like, I read 300 books today and here's my favorite books. Or it's like, I, and it's like, so like, it's like, who has time? I don't, I'll be, I don't have time to read 300 books. <laughs> yeah. Know? And it's like, here's, you know, I, I'm an influencer because, you know, cause I read like 15,000 pages. I feel like there needs to be a happy medium between like not reading and people kind of like trying to read f- to like flex and stunt. Right. Right. Just the joy of reading unto itself needs to yeah. be sort of uh, validated and celebrated. Well, on that note, um, just to, to wrap things up, I know that one can be a book lover without wanting to write a book, but I also think that, that many people have a lot of unspoken and unrealized dreams to write a book. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you as an avid reader are interested in writing a book. And if so, what kind of book would you like to write? There was a time in my life, <laughs> I mean, like when I was in college, I was like going back to the everyday thing. There was a stretch where I'd be like working on, like writing a, a like working on a manuscript every day and, and like cracking back at it. Um, I don't know where in my Google drive that thing lives. I don't know if it's still there, or if it's on some other, if it's on like some like MSN drive or something like that. So yeah, it was the, it was a dream of mine, like pretty much all throughout college, so I graduated in 2011 and 2010, 2011, there was that boom of like personal essays popping off online. Remember? Mm-hmm. Like everyone yeah. was like writing their like own personal like take on, you know, like I bought my lunch to school and everyone thought it was stinkier. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I got second place in like a modern love essay contest that they were hoping. Um, and I was like, yo, what if I write like a whole book of personal essays? But it's like, imagine being like 20, 20 and be like, oh, I've got a whole book of personal essays. In me. And since then, like my, my dreams of writing a book have since like dwindled. Um, if, if I were to write one, I think what I, what I have in me is like a short, I've, I think I've got like a short story collection in me somewhere in the cackles of my brain whatever that looks like and feels like i i don't know yet um and you know who knows if i ever will maybe next november you know i'll pop one off we'll Uh, be there for you yeah yeah totally so yeah like the dreams there i don't know it's i i know i know like in any like any advice would be just like rooted like just just fucking do it dude you know just do it it'll it'll be fine um but that is just the best and the most basic advice i have to say 
But the apprehension is like fear, right? The fear of the yep. like a, I mean, there's no other fear other than what if it sucks, right? What if it's bad? <laughs> and you can be the only one who might know that. And I bet it's not true. That's yeah. Um, that's what I find is that most people's uh, rough drafts are way better than they think they are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I also just like you were talking about earlier about just validating the joy of reading and celebrating the joy of reading. I also feel the same way about writing is that it's not necessarily about the professional outcome of it but just the the act the act of doing it yeah it's interesting like nobody goes like how many people go for a swim and be like yo i'm coming from michael phelps's school title you know what i mean like you don't need to you could just like go for a light swim it's fun yeah when when people uh, start knitting sweaters i don't i I feel like they don't get the the question oh how are you going to market those sweaters how are you going to place them in stores you know it's just like knitting knitting for the sake of knitting and i feel like yeah i'm just doing it because i'm watching the like white lotus or whatever and i've I've just like got time on my hands yeah or singing in the church choir how are you going to professionalize that singing Um, yeah exactly well, Andrew, it was a delight to talk with you. And I do want to just mention to to listeners to check out NPR's Book of the Day. I love the podcast for many reasons that I talked about earlier. So thank you so much for talking books with us, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll be right back with today's book trend after this short break. Welcome back, everyone. This week's book trend could actually be called a grieving trend. It was recently announced that Book Forum, which was founded in 1994, was closing its doors. And I say grieving trend because many major daily newspapers have also either curtailed their book coverage or gotten rid of their book review sections altogether. I think that something essential is being needlessly lost because... You know, I don't really need to say it, but if we're losing our publications, which tell us the story of books, then we're also losing those books and that conversation to some degree. And the story behind this one is money, of course, Uh, a company called Penske Media Corporation, which owns Rolling Stone and Variety, among other publications, purchased Book Forum's parent company, Art Forum International Magazine, and decided to close Book Forum. So we're, we're losing another outlet because of conglomeration. Yeah, it's so sad that the standalone newspaper book review section is on the verge of extinction, honestly. Like, no more review sections in the Chicago Tribune, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post. Uh, The Wall Street Journal still publishes 10 to 15 reviews a week, but the New York Times book review is really the only one left that is solely dedicated to the book section still. So, you know, that decline of the book review is in part, as you already said, you know, due to not sufficient eyeballs to generate the ad revenue. So, Money definitely trumps book culture, at least when it comes to newspaper coverage, which we've known for a long time. All those publications you listed, you know, my view is that beyond the conversation about the books themselves, they owe it to their readership to cover, you know, not only major national books, but also books being written in their communities, just as they would profile local artists and musicians. And that's actually what I want for my hometown paper, in addition to some reviews. You know, I'm speaking of the San Francisco Chronicle here, but we have such an amazingly rich community of local authors, but they're rarely featured. So many people don't even realize that there are many authors living just right down the street from them. <laughs> you know, I do have some optimism in this, and, and that is, is that book talk is still alive and well in general it has just shifted away from the traditional review publications to things like podcasts and book blogs so the conversation about books seems healthy to me actually uh, but just not in some of the institutional platforms where book reviewers played the role of you know gatekeepers and tastemakers Yeah, it's really interesting to me how book reviewing has been democratized over the last 25 years, which of course includes the proliferation of 
book clubs and reading groups, and we're so much more dependent on readers' reviews on Amazon and Goodreads and other social media, much more so, of course, in recent years than we are on newspapers or magazines. And the good news, I guess, like you said, there's optimism here because even though we're mourning the demise of those print reviews, the democratization of reviews does spread the word more effectively for most books. So that's a good thing. Yeah, I think what's interesting for writers to consider is the book reviews don't sell books anymore. And that's been the case for a long time. Or if they if they do so, it's really only incremental sales that result. You know, a, a rave review 20 years ago in the New York Times or Washington Post could, you know, usher an obscure author into the limelight. But that never really happens today. In fact, you'll get more attention if Oprah or Reese Witherspoon feature you in their book recommendations. So I'm less worried about sales and more worried about the overall cultural conversation. And I am heartened by podcasts like Book a Day and the popularity of book conversations on social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok. And, and one thing to keep in mind is that these platforms open up conversations about books uh, that book review sections haven't traditionally covered. And I actually think that was one shortcoming of book review sections. They reviewed a certain type of highbrow book, which I loved, but it mm -hmm. didn't make a lot of room for a broader palette of reading tastes. Yeah, I agree, Grant. It's a good point. And, you know, I think we're always going to mourn these changes in part because we're nostalgic and technology gives us such gains and losses at the same time. But you and I, Grant, both value the democratization of book publishing. So as that trend goes, uh, it's, you know, I have to look at the pros and cons of all of these things. Um, and of course, we are striving to be a democratic show as always, which means that we strive to be accessible. We review all kinds of authors and genres. And so I think about that too, that morass, you know, like a bigger accessible pool. Uh, so listeners, that's just also a reminder for all of you that if there's a topic that you wish we'd tackle this year, please let us know. Thank you. Or a guest that you wish we would bring on. Uh, but otherwise, we've got a long queue of guests that we want to bring on and we're here for you week in and week out. And we will be back in your show queue next week. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>